That says it all. I wouldn't have to preach now, but I'm going to. So good morning again. Today we're going to be in Romans 12. Okay. Romans 12 starts out by saying this. I appeal to you, therefore. Anytime there's a therefore in the Bible, there's a therefore. So what's Paul saying here? Paul is saying, therefore, I've just been talking to you for 11 chapters. Therefore, this is what you should respond by doing. Well, what were them 11 chapters about? Well, them 11 chapters were about God's saving grace. That Jesus came and did something for you that you couldn't do for yourself. That is what the first 11 chapters were really about in Romans. And now he's going, therefore, this is what you must do. This is what you should do if you believe If you believe what I've been telling you for the last 11 chapters, this is what it should look like. This is what it should look like. And sometimes I look at myself and I don't see this characteristics. And I look at other people and don't see it. But we profess we're Christian. We profess that we we know God. But we don't act like we know him, 24-7. Romans 1 continues by saying, By the mercies of God, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual Worship. So as believers, we have an offering to make to God. And it's not just a tithe once a week. God actually tells you, Jesus actually says, leave everything and follow me. He doesn't say, hey, once a week, give your tithe. He says, Give me everything. See, the beauty about that is what God does is say, give me everything. But then he goes like this. He gives you back stuff and says, well, now here you go. Take care of it for a while for me because I don't need that right now. Just take care of it because I don't need it now. But I will need it someday. I will want it back someday. Everything that you have came from him. And we have to look at it like that. See, the the reason I picked this passage is because of the therefore. Therefore, Christ died for you. Christ lived for you and died for you. But he also rose for you. So what do you want to offer him? Your leftovers? Because sometimes I think that's what we do. We give him our leftovers. Not our first fruits. Our, oh yeah, I can live without that. That's like 
if you want to get into the financial part of it, the Old Testament said you give 10%. They were so religious, by the way, they gave 10% of everything. So if they had their spices and they had, 12, they had 10 peppercorns, they put one peppercorn to the side to give to God. They did that with all their spices, not just their financials. But this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus ups the ante. Jesus doesn't ask you for 10%. Jesus asks you for everything. He never says 10%. The Old Testament talks about the tithe as a 10% offering of everything. But Jesus says, give it to me all. I want all of you. I don't want a little bit of you. I want you to give me all of you. Because he made you. He knows what's best for you. So without offering him everything, when we hold back, we're actually hurting ourselves. When we don't offer him everything we have, and I'm not talking about emptying your bank accounts and getting rid of everything. I'm not talking about you give. He also says, if you give reluctantly, he doesn't even want it. If you give out of compulsion, stop giving. That's a brave thing for a pastor to say. Because if you think you have to give, you shouldn't give at all. God doesn't want them gifts. If you think you have to serve him, God doesn't want that. God wants you to want to do it. Like I said, we get to be a part of his kingdom. We can choose what we do with that. Verse 2 goes on to say, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We're to change from the inside out. See, God wants to transform each and every one of you. He wants to transform me. But if I don't allow him to, he won't. But we, we try to fit into the world, don't we? We try to be cool with the world. We want to, people to like us, so we do stuff that people will like. Instead of actually living like we believe. That's the problem. We live outside of these four walls. A lot of times like we don't know Jesus. If somebody in this church could follow you around and you not know about it, would you change the way you act? If, if you realized that God is with you every moment of every single day. Would you act the same way? I think we forget sometimes that he is there. We, tr- we treat people. 
Wrong. Do you know why people hate Christians? Because we're hypocrites. We come to church, we act holier than now, and then we go out and do stupid stuff. And we treat people like dirt. That's what we do. How we, do you think Jesus ever treated anybody with disrespect because they didn't believe what he was teaching? I don't. I actually think Jesus was a loving, caring human being and God at the same time. We are not perfect, so we're going to make this, we're not, we're not going to do this very well. But I can tell you, I've obviously changed. I, I said this to my sister when I dropped her off at the airport. I gave her a hug, she kissed me, I kissed her, and, and I said, do you know this is, we made 10 days without falling out. I will tell you this, you, you can laugh, you can think that's funny, but you can ask my wife if I've ever been to England, because she came to America 32 years ago, so if I've ever been to England... In any of the trips, if we are ending up speaking when I leave. This is the first time that I can remember actually still being friends with each other when I dropped off at the airport. That's God. That's not me. And I hope she sees that in me. But that's how God works. He changes us if we allow him to. I thank God on the way back saying, God, I don't know how we did that. I mean, I actually said it to her as a joke. Because I thought it was amazing that we could hug each other at the airport and say goodbye without being mad at each other. I mean, some trips, we went to England for three weeks. A week of it was bliss. The next two weeks were not bliss with me and my oldest sister. And I think part of that is because I asked people in this church to pray for me, knowing that this was going to be a difficult visit. So, and what is really hilarious is the sister that I didn't have a problem with actually was the sister I had a problem with the first week she was here. So it's, it's like... Not that we held anything against each other because that was the beauty of me and her falling out. After it was fell out, we were made up. My, me and my other sister, we would have just stayed mad at each other till the next time we seen each other in 10 years. So that is God transforming me from the inside out. He wants to do the same to you if you allow it. Don't you want to reflect Jesus everywhere you go? So why do we try to conform to this world? You know, that's the beauty of, of when, you, when you've got grandkids. And I've got my son and my, uh, my little four-year-old granddaughter. Do you know what I love? Is that they don't make, they let her pick out her clothes. When she's not going to school, she can pick out her clothes. You know what's so good about that? She don't care what anybody else thinks. So she puts on some clothes, and I'm like, are we going somewhere? Because, and then I go, you know, it's cool that she gets to pick out her clothes, and she thinks that matches. She's got some 
uncoordinated stuff going on. But it, it, it's really, do you know why? Because she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And then we grow up and we start caring about what other people think about us. And there's only one person in the world ever that's ever existed that we should care about what we look like to. And that is Jesus. We should care how God sees us. And that's all. We shouldn't care how anybody else in the world sees us. We should be like a four-year-old and not care what anybody else thinks. But we do. Why is that? Because we're not letting God conform us to his way of living. See, I'm all about, I think it's great. Like Hudson, uh, uh, when he went to China, Hudson Taylor, I couldn't remember his last name, thank you. Hudson Taylor, when he was in China, do you know what he did? He grew his hair long, pulled back, put it in a ponytail, wore the same clothes that everybody else wore, so he fit in. But he didn't do their customs, but he looked like them. That's good. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's not telling us, don't look like society. He's saying, don't become society. Don't fall into the society trap of, of hey, if, if I don't do this, I'm not cool. So I'm going to do it because then I'll fit in with everybody else in the world. I say this a lot. If everybody likes you, you are a sucky Christian. You are. Who liked Jesus? No, people still hate Jesus. He's the most famous person that's ever lived and people still don't like him. You know, all of his disciples, nobody liked them. The first hundred and two or three hundred years of Christianity were not a good time to be a Christian. A lot of us wouldn't have made it. Because they stood for what they believed in. That's what he means when he says, do not conform. Don't start fitting into what the world says we should be. Don't start agreeing with stuff that you don't believe, but you agree with it because if you don't agree with it, people hate you. Well, guess what? People are going to hate you for believing the truth. Get used to it. Get used to it. Then he goes on to say, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measures of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individual members, one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them in prophecy, in proportion, 
to our faith. If service in our serve, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who lands with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. By the way, they are all considered gifts of grace. Gifts of grace. According to this, we're all supposed to serve. All Christians are supposed to serve. Not one Christian, not two Christians, not 10% of the church is supposed to do 100% of the work. See, here's the problem. I want a church that isn't like that. I want a church that isn't like any other church. Because the problem with every other church is that's how they are. The body's broken. The arm's somewhere over there. The other arm's somewhere over there. The leg's over there. The leg's over there. And nobody's doing the work but 10%. But if you want this to be a good church, a fantastic church that people want to come to, you're the ones who have to make it better, not me. It's not my responsibility. Do you know what my responsibility is as your pastor? Is to teach you God's word. If I'm not doing that, I'm not doing my job. But everything else, you're supposed to help with. And like I said, 10% of people do 100% of the work. Because when we have a sign-up sheet, it's the same 10% of people that sign up. It's pretty sad when you think about it. But according to this, we're supposed to all work together. We're one body. The text that, that Jackie read, John 13 do you know that text isn't to, it, the, the love one another there is different than other commandments to love one another. Because he's talking about Christians and Christians. In that text, he's not telling me to go love somebody who doesn't believe in God. That's elsewhere in the Bible. But at that text, when Jesus says that, he's talking to us. He's telling us to love one another. That it means I have to put you a higher value than I see myself. You have to put me at a higher value than you see yourself. That's what love is. According to 1 Corinthians 13, which everybody knows, by the way, says this, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If you just have ideas, if you don't put into action 
You are just a noisy clang. Do you know how many people come, hey, pastor, this would be a good idea. We should do this. But then expect me to do it. They think it's a good idea, but they want me to do it. Like I have nothing else to do. According to this, if you do that, you're just a noisy clang. Because you're not doing it out of love. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. That's pretty impressive, isn't it? That's a pretty impressive resume. And if I have all faith. So as to remove mountains. But have not love. I am nothing. That's pretty impressive. To have all of that, but they don't have love, they're nothing. If I give all away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, everything we do should be done out of love for one another. And then he goes on to say, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. See, the thing about love is you can tell somebody you love them. You know, when you're, when you're a little kid, like in your teenage years, and you, you go out on a date, and, and then you tell somebody you love them, that's just a fuzzy feeling. That's, that's all that is. It, it, it's a, a fuzzy feeling. Do you know why? Because love isn't a feeling. Because the Bible says you have to do things for love it to be love. The love the Bible describes love the best way. It's an action. It's a verb. It's a do, not a, a word that we spew out. Because the problem with love, by the way, is that I love pizza, I love steak, and I love my wife. That puts that love my wife bit not very good because I love pizza too. I mean, really, when you think about it, we use that word so, like, freely. We forget what the real meaning of it is. Because, really, I just like pizza a lot. And I like steak a lot. I love my wife, even when she makes me mad. And, and, and I hope she loves me when I'm mad, because that happens a lot more. So, so that's how we're supposed to love, though. Even when we're getting hurt, we're supposed to love. Because guess who, who showed us how to love? Jesus. He loved us when we were still his enemy. When we were still full of sin, he loved us. That is why Paul says all of this. 
before in Romans, up to Romans 12, he's telling us, look, Jesus did this because he loves you. Now, if you love him, love people, do things, use your gifts and the talents to bring more people to meet Jesus. It goes on to say, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. We're to love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Can you imagine if we live like this? If I try and outdo you in honor and you try and outdo me in honor, can you imagine what sort of community we would build? That all I want to do is build you up and all you want to do is build me up? What sort of actual community would we have if we actually applied what we learn in the Bible? See, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayers. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. When was the last time you blessed somebody that persecuted you? That held you back? Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the low and associate, uh, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give for to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you. Live peaceable with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you know, probably 15 years ago, I was listening to a message. And it was talking about how uh, the radical Islam gets people, their their little children, to follow them. And do you know how they do it? They feed them. They clothe them. They pretend to love them. And then we 
are just complaining and doing nothing and wonder why they hate us. Because we allow somebody else to do God's work. That is why missions is so important in the church. These are the marks of saving faith. That's why missions is important. That's why the spaghetti fundraiser we had last weekend was so important. And the next one's going to be even better. Because I know we serve a powerful God. I know he is an amazing God. He blessed that with, so far, $950. It just keeps increasing. Every time I ask Russ, it's like more money coming from somewhere. Because God's got deep pockets. And that's going to help us fund ministries. That's going to probably send some things to Asia where there's other religions that do this stuff. But we want to support Christian ones that, that, that are sending the mission and making sure that these people know the reason we do this is because Jesus is good. And we want to be, we want to act, not be, but act like Jesus. We want to give the gifts. Because just like the video said before that we watched, we all are blessed in this country just because we live in America. We're blessed. We're blessed with more. Even the poorest of us is blessed with more than anybody else. Most of the world has a lot less than us. And for one, if you are poor, poor here, you're not going to starve, especially in Rockford, Illinois. Because I know where you can eat three meals a day for free. There's countries that they're lucky if they can eat one meal a day. And it's a bowl of rice that's just boiled in water. And probably dirty water at that. Why are we not doing more with what we have? Why are we holding back the treasures that God has given us? That's, that's, that's what the Bible is all about. It's about God has given us gifts. We're blessed because we live in America. And because we live here, we should be doing more because we have more. It's not so our bank accounts can get bigger. We can own more stuff. See, who has been given a lot is held to a higher accountability. It's like the, the, the talents. We're the people on the 10 talent side, by the way, whether you feel it or not. We've been given a lot, and guess what? A lot is going to be asked of you. I know one day that I'm going to stand in front of a God that's going to ask me, do I believe in Jesus? He already knows the answer. But I also believe strongly in my heart, he's going to ask me what I did with it. And I do not want to stand in front of God and say nothing. Not that it's not going to get me into heaven because, hey, I'm saved because of grace. I'm saved because what was done for me. When he asks that question, 
He already knows it. He already knows all the answers. I want to be not even ask the question, and I want everybody that comes to this church be say, hey, yep, they believe in Jesus. Well done, my good and faithful servant. I don't even ask you, need to ask you the other question because I know that you gave everything that I asked you to give. You didn't hold nothing back. Do you know what's a funny statistic? Do you know what state per capita gives more money away on a percentage basis? Not amount, but on a percentage basis. Do you know what state that, that would happen to be? Does anybody want to yell out a state? The most giving state in America. Who, who, anybody give it a shot? What? Iowa? Nope. Nope. Missouri. Do you know why? Because it's the poorest state. Missouri's always been poor. But do you know what poor people do? They see people hurting and guess what poor people do? They know how, what hurting feels like so they give. You know when there's a, 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 a disaster... They don't give the most amount of money. But if you take the percentage of what they earn, they give the most of that. Because they have less to give. But they give a percentage, a bigger percentage of what they have to causes. Because when you are poor, it's easier to give because you know what it's like to be hurting. But when you're blessed with abundance, it's harder to let go of what you have. And that's just giving God your leftovers. And again, God don't want them. God don't want your leftovers. He always asks, the whole Bible talks about giving him your first fruits. That's your first fruit in your time. That's your first fruit in your talent. That's your first fruit fruits in your treasure, all things that he has given you. That is the true marks of saving faith. That is when you've truly put your 100% faith in that God has got you no matter what. That you're not worrying about how I'm going to do this if I give that to God. You go, I know God always comes through. It's when we want something that we don't actually need that we hold back. That's the problem. We need to be looser with our time, our talent, and our treasure. Because if we want to change the world, we have to start here and move outwards. We can't be more generous until we're more generous with our time, talent, and treasure here. And then we can, we can be more generous with our time, talent, treasure in our community. But it's got to start somewhere. And that's what the work of Easter is all about. God saved you. And when he saved you, he didn't zap you into heaven... He left you here because he wants you to want to work for him. He wants to use you, but you have to allow him to use you. 
You have to give yourselves to him. All of you. Not just part of you. And I'll tell you this. He's not going to take everything. But he's going to borrow you what you need right now. So, this week, to get ready for next week's sermon in The, Great Su- the Greatest Sufferer, I want you to read Job 1, 1 through 5, to get ready for the part 1 of The Greatest Sufferer, a study in the book of Job. And it's supposed to say part 1, not part 2 there. With, with Pastor Dave Simons. I'm going to set it up so I can record it this time, so I get to listen to it. That's one of my jobs this week, to make sure everything's set up the way it needs to be set up. So, let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you know you are an amazing God. You're amazing not because of just that you save us, that you trust us. You leave us here to do some work. That you allow us to be part of your big picture, which blows my mind. That you would use a bunch of... I would say useless people that are, that are, are full of, of issues and problems. But we get to be a part of your plan if we submit our lives to you. Not just a part of it. We need to be a people that don't want to just give God our leftovers, but want to give God all of us. Lay our lives down for you, God. That is what you ask of us. Not because we have to, but because we get to. I ask that you work in all of our hearts today. Help us to be children of yours. Help us to follow you with 100% of our hearts. To not be ashamed to not fit in, to not, not conform to the way people want to see us, but to be conformed to you the way you see us. And you see us only. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.